0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to campus, parents, grandparents, prospective students, students who are coming for the first time because your parents are here, <laughs> board of trustees. What a fun weekend we get to have every year when we come back and sort of just gather together and remember, um, remember incredible memories. From times at school for those of us who are alumni um, of this place and each one of us love it in our own way we're just so grateful more than anything else um, that we have seen God's consistent faithfulness um, to this place and so that's why we always want to start Defender Days gathering together in worship um, because this is where we belong this is where we start and this is where we finish all things will you join me in prayer Father God, we thank you for this institution. We thank you for the dreamers who put a shovel in the ground and turned it over and believe that you are asking them to do something. And now we thank you for the profound effect it has in our lives, for 20,000 alumni and for people all over. Father, we pray that we would be faithful to the mission you've given us. And we pray that Father, Son, and Holy Ghost would always be recognized, named, and glorified here. For there is no other name by which we should be saved but yours. Father, meet us today in your word and teach us. Regardless of our age, we want to keep learning. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a little kid, um, I remember being frustrated because my dad always had to go to work. And so I remember asking my mom, why does dad have to go to work all the time? And my mom would say, well, he has to go make money. So as a little kid, I actually thought that this is what my dad went to go and do all day. (laughs) He went and made money. We're so literal when we're little, right? Like literal little and believing that that's what God, go, or that's what our parents would go off and do. At least I did, and I thought that the people who were more wealthy, well, I guess their parents were just better at making money. <laughs> so you can imagine my surprise when I found out one day that my dad actually sold fish. That's not the same as making money. And so for as a little kid, like, that's, that's a pretty big paradigm shift, Can you recall times in your life where you learned something new that completely flipped over what you thought you knew about something and experienced your own paradigm shift? One of the things that we've been studying all um, semester in chapel is we've been looking in this series, Deeper Still, at the work of the Holy Spirit from the beginning in Genesis all the way through into the eschaton through the book of Revelation. And we've been looking at the way the Holy Spirit has played a significant and profound role. And we watch this three-part act between these three characters of the Trinity that each take their turn being at the front of the stage in different moments while the others look on and celebrate and adore them. But often the most misunderstood aspect of the Trinity is the person of the Holy Spirit. And so we wanted to spend a whole semester just unpacking that. By the time we get to today, we actually arrive now at the book of Acts. And so, as we pace this all through, Sam covered Pentecost last week, and so it's my responsibility today to take 28 chapters of Acts and cover it in 23 minutes. Not an easy task. But anyways, here we go. I wish I was an auctioneer right now. I'd have a faster voice. What I did this week is I sat down and I just started reading the book of Acts from start to finish. And what I wanted to do was to find what are the big motifs. Where does my highlighter have to come out? Because I keep seeing words that come up again and again and again that maybe I didn't see before. And one of the first things that struck me right away is that we actually named this book wrong. Now I'm sure there's some very smart men who love the Lord deeply who sat down one day and called this um, the Acts of the Apostles. I think we should have called it the Acts of the Holy Spirit because as I went through it there are 58 specific references to the person of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts and 44 in the first 13 chapters alone and that's just the direct mention of his name not even the work that he's doing in all of these different scenarios. So the Holy Spirit becomes this main player, main actor, bigger than Peter, bigger than Paul, bigger than everything else going on, and everything revolves around what he wants to accomplish through his people. And the model he then sets for what that's supposed to look like for the church today as well. So I want to pull a couple of motifs out, the things that made my highlighter kind of wear out by the time I got to the end of the book. Motif number one, the Holy Spirit is surprisingly simple. As we look at the different covenants and the different ways that um, from creation we were called into interaction with God and into covenant with God, we begin to see that as the prophets arrive, Jeremiah, right in the 6th century before the coming of Christ, already says it like this in the anticipation of what would be coming next from Jeremiah 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Lo the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. There's this promise and this anticipation that there's going to be a new covenant. Something is going to change and the law that was written on stone tablets on Mount Sinai will, once be, will be written on our hearts. That the God who was above us, that came to walk beside us, was going to move into our lives in a new way. And it doesn't negate anything that had happened before that in the existing covenants, but it does fulfill them. And it brings us to something new. And when we watch the Holy Spirit move in the book of Acts, the things that he reveals to us are actually quite simple. An example. When Peter finishes the Pentecost sermon, he doesn't even need to do an altar call and invite people forward because they actually call to the altar and say, what shall we do? Like, what are we supposed to do now that we're in this new time with a new arrival of the Holy Spirit? And pay attention to what he says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. But what I want to pay attention to is the three verbs The three commands in this, repent, be baptized, and you will receive. Notice two out of the three aren't even actions that you have to initiate and start. This is grace. When God wants to do something in our lives. So they're going to go out throughout all the nations. They're going to proclaim this gospel of the God who moved to us, the God who came towards us that we didn't have to go to and appease and make happy and work our entire lives just to make sure he wasn't angry at us anymore Repent, that's the one verb we get. The other ones are actually passive. Be baptized, you will receive. Just repent. Every great revival and explosion of church growth in history has been embedded within it a significant component of repentance. A moment of realization for individuals, for communities, and for nations to understand that the way that they've been going and the way they've been organizing their lives are chasing after the wrong things and their gaze needs to be fixed. Tim Keller says it like this, how do you change your behavior? Change what you worship. It's often been said, right, the definition of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again and hoping for a different result. If we keep looking at the same thing and we keep organizing our lives around the same things and chasing after the same goals that everybody else in the world is chasing after, nothing is going to change. You frustrated with your sin? Are there things in your life that you want to see changed? Are there things in your community that you want to see changed? How do you change your behavior? Change what you worship. Simple. Simple. Following the promptings and leadings of the Holy Spirit in our lives when he's pointing out sins in places where we need to repent and come forward, it isn't complicated, but it is hard. The Holy Spirit's movement and his teaching through this book is, at the end of the day, Simple. Acts 15, verse 19, right in this Acts 15 council, the disciples now have gone all the way out. They've, they've gone all over the place, and all these Gentiles are experiencing the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes before they're baptized, sometimes after they're baptized, but they're experiencing all of this. And so the, the Jewish disciples need to figure out, how are we going to respond to this? And I love the heart at the beginning of it. I wish our churches today would start sometimes our conversations with this. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Corporate unity will always require personal sacrifice. Andy Stanley said that. One of the greatest church planters in our own time in American history. Corporate unity requires personal sacrifice. We have to be willing to give something up on our own. We have to, might have to change a little bit. We might have to amend our behaviors and our cultural practices in order to enfold people who will want to experience the same things that we do. There will be transformation required of us if the arms of the church are to extend further. The disciples all learn this through their own suffering, and in fact, all of them being martyred eventually for their faith. In fact, the word To witness, martyrios, right, in Greek, is the same word we get martyr from. To bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus became the same word for dying for doing it. They were that wrapped up together. So the heart of the disciples here, what is it that we can do? And so they go back and look. And you think we have cultural traditions, right, like in our own country here, a couple hundred years old? We're talking about a nation that is thousands of years old. Their cultural traditions and practices are so embedded in their self-understanding, in their DNA, in their cultural awareness, so the disciples who have been just adamantly following God their whole lives get together and try to figure out what is it that we can do to make it simpler for the Gentiles so that they can come and experience God the way we are. And I'm always blown away the way Acts 15 ends with this. It seemed good to the Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You have to understand for the Jews how big of a change this is. If you're keeping score at home on a commandment count, Back in Genesis through Deuteronomy, there were 613 different laws. We get now to the extension of the invitation to the Gentiles. And the disciples whittled all of that down to three things that they were going to ask them to do. That's a lot of history and a lot of change and a lot of internal wrestling and angst for the people of God in order to expand the reach of the people of God. Corporate unity does indeed involve personal sacrifice. But I love how the Holy Spirit is driving them, right? It seemed good to the Spirit and to us. And they get to this point of, point of just simplicity. Listen to the simplicity of how it is that they grew their community. They devoted themselves to teaching, fellowship, eating together, and prayer. Those are the characteristics of the early church defined in the book of Acts. Who can't do this? Teaching, fellowship, hanging out, eating together... In prayer. You know how many books on church strategy growth have been written? That would make this so much more complicated than that? The early Christian church grew like crazy. This is the second motif I want to talk about that I, it just struck me. And this is for the first time ever reading through the book of Acts. I never saw it in this light before. The Holy Spirit is relentless. At the very beginning, right, Jesus gave him the command... You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you read the book of Acts carefully, you realize that it's actually structured geographically. It follows those movements. If you want to go to the map next for me. It just kind of moves out and reverberates in concentric circles. Like the influence that our life is supposed to have. They just started in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We only need to get to chapter 8 in the book of Acts, and Philip is already interacting um, with somebody from Ethiopia. The disciples are going further and further out into the empire. The disciple Thomas made it all the way to India in order to be the first evangelist there before the end of his life. When God called Abraham back at the very beginning, he gave him one verb, go, and everything else. God promised to do I will bless you I will make your name great and the language of grace and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives was deeply embedded already in the founding of God's people in the Old Testament but it keeps going Matthew 28 the beginning of the great commission the same word kicks it off again here's your verb people go go and make disciples at freshman orientation, when we were all sort of sitting here in our wow welcome service, one of the things that President Hoekstra um, included in terms of direction for the parents um, was, you need to go, right? You need to, you need to leave because there comes a time when you, you just got to go. And now you're back. <laughs> but students, a time is coming when you will need to go when you will graduate and you will need to go and you will need to be the same kind of witness and flavor your communities the same way that the first century church does in the book of Acts. And when we do, the blessings begin to unfold and the fulfillment of God's promises when we open up our lives and allow heaven's possibilities to become earth's realities on the platform of our lives. I want to show you really quick Let's do a rundown here, a quick minute, of the places in Acts where it talks about the growth that happens, okay? 2, verse 41, this is right at the end of the Sermon on Mount. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day, and the Lord added to their number daily. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. More and more men and women believed in the Lord. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the number of disciples in Jerusalem was increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, encouraged by the Holy Spirit, increased in numbers. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. But the word of the Lord continued to increase and spread. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. They preached and won a large number of disciples. Some of the Jews joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. Many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed? I just kept highlighting this because I'd never seen this before. That it, there's just this rapid growth, rapid growth, rapid growth, and I wanted to see where does it come the most. So I'd look back at the passage that comes right before every single one of these lines, and almost inevitably, it came right after a hardship. It came right after something of struggle, that the most fertile soil for the explosion of the work of the Holy Spirit is a humbled man or woman. They had all this growth, so what did they do? They formed a building committee. So that's also interesting what's not in the book of Acts. Not a lot of talk of building committees. They created church structure as they needed it. And they only created rules for the things that relationships couldn't handle on their own. And there was this beautiful sort of organic nature to it. And don't get me wrong, there's been a very rich history since. as the People of God the world over have dug into his word and mined its great depths and learned so many things. And we do have some more complicated structures today. But it was just so valuable to go back and see the simplicity of this. And I think it's the same for us, too. The Holy Spirit has not changed the same approach. Even in the world today, all the, in our own lives today, all the places of the greatest growth that we experience come out of the things that we would never ask for, we would never want. But our God is so good that we can meet him on a mountaintop or we can be in the worst day of our life, and he stays the same. I fail, he doesn't. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord, to me, as we all sang. And it is. Can you see it in your life and in your family, the faithfulness of God? His word does not fail. We have failed him time and time again. But if there's any place in your life or any place in your community where there is hurt, where there is struggle, where there is strife, where there, where there is division, instead of us all running away from it, what we learn from the disciples is that we become cultural first responders as those who become good news into a situation that is bad news for a whole lot of people all around it. Because if you want to follow a rabbi who spoke good news, you become good news everywhere you go too. And you become the best thing into the neighborhood that you moved into. And you become good news for your workplace. And you become good news for your family that's been fighting with one another. Because the work of Jesus Christ is good news when the Holy Spirit starts to activate it in our own lives. Your God will not forsake you, He will not leave you alone. It doesn't matter what's happening around us in culture. The disciples were up against it. The earliest Christians were persecuted by the Roman Empire by the time we get to the end of the book of Acts. Nero is dunking Christians in oil and lighting them up as torches and garden parties in his backyard. And the church keeps growing. They will not run away. Motif three. The Holy Spirit is surprisingly, well, surprising. When he first shows up in the book of Acts, he looks like drunkenness. Right? That's what people see. Trying to understand how I apply that as a pastor. Somebody comes to me and be like, Aaron, can you explain, like, the Holy Spirit to me? And I'm like, well, biblically, he kind of looks like drunkenness. And he disrupts the social fabric of the Roman Empire. And we're only two chapters into the book of acts and the prophecy is coming back men and women will prophesy slaves and free and the church turned the world upside down because it stopped dividing people based on gender and race and ethnic background and it became a vision of what god wants to see at the end of time with every tongue tribe and nation before him at the wedding supper of the lamb and god's people are to be a reflection of that, to show the world where everything is headed. You're a reflection of the future when the Holy Spirit pokes through the thin parchment between heaven and earth, both of which he rules over, and begins to bring the one into this one, so we can show the whole world the possibilities. He shows up in the miraculous, just because he wants to blow people's doors off sometimes and surprise them. There's not even a theological order at times in the book of Acts at which things happen in people's lives. Sometimes they get baptized, and then there's miracles. Sometimes they speak in tongues, and then they're baptized. Sometimes they're baptized, and then they speak in tongues. And it's like the Holy Spirit is telling us in this book, don't you dare put me in a box. I need to be driving this thing. Don't think that you can create all enough sound theological explanation to explain this. Experience precedes theological understanding when the Holy Spirit is at work. Paradigm shift. It happened in the life of Peter too. It happens for the life of Peter in the book of Acts. And it struck me in a new way going through it. The last time we saw Peter was back denying Jesus. He did not want to get the ministry mess on him that Jesus had. And so he betrays his own friend and creates distance and denies his own knowledge of him because he's too afraid being driven by the fears inside of him. But by Acts chapter 5, when Peter gets flogged and beaten and finally released and told, don't you dare talk about this Jesus anymore, his reaction now is he comes out celebrating and worshiping and singing because he had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus that's a paradigm shift from fear and running away from things to running into them friends christian education and why you were here is not the it's not for protection it's for preparation You are here to be formed so you can become a catalytic agent to change the environment that God asks you to walk into. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Not you'll all get together in churches of 300 and then you'll all pay for one person to go be a missionary in another country. No, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. You are the plan. We are the plan. We are God's plan for the disruption of the cultural fabric of our society every bit as much as the first century Christians were. Peter as this, this happened again. His doors are blown off and it's a paradigm shift when, he, when God reveals right in that, in that passage where the sheep comes down from heaven with all the animals and he says, Peter, get up, kill, eat. And God leads him in this journey to understand that the Gentiles were all invited into this too. Everybody. And as this happens, well, this is our last motif. We'll close with this. The Holy Spirit is obsessed with the other And it comes out of his very nature. We see the Father, right? So enamored with the Son and telling, right? So excited for the arrival of his Son. And then his Son comes, and all that Jesus can talk about is it's going to be so awesome when the Holy Spirit comes. And then the Holy Spirit comes. It's like, you guys got to get to know my Father, and Jesus is the King of Kings. And there's this beautiful selflessness. So it's no surprise that when the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit arrive, that every single one of them are not about the self. They're all actually about the other. And if you want to follow a self-sacrificing Savior, you live a life that is self-sacrificing. But here's the surprising twist. The paradigm shift. Is our world all thinks... You make your life better by worrying about yourself first. And as a follower of Jesus, you become everything God created you to be when you start to become more interested in the other. The Holy Spirit needed a plan that would work to change the world upside down and to reach the nations. Even at the end of the listing in Galatians 5.23 on the fruit of the Spirit, there's that little line, against such things there is no law, Right? Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and and against such things there is no law. I I never really understood what that meant until I was going back through this. These people were persecuted. It's statewide opposition to who they were. Against such things there is no law. God's telling them, look, I created a plan that's so good you can't outlaw kindness. You could be under a communist regime or an evil dictator and you can't tell somebody, you can't be patient. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. The early New Testament community loved so radically and was so interested in the other, and it was so disruptive to the social fabric that it turned their world upside down. N.T. Wright says it like this Those in whom the Spirit comes to live are God's new temple. They are, individually and corporately, places where heaven and earth meet. So if I was the Holy Spirit, it's an interesting way to start a sentence. Um, If I was the Holy Spirit, and I was part of the one who searches hearts and minds and is working all over the place, and I want to find a moment where I'm going to poke through that thin parchment between heaven and earth and bring some of those future possibilities into present realities, and I'm looking for someone to do this work within, who do you think I'm going to pick? The person staying up late at night on yik yak, talking crap about fellow students? Or the person who did something kind and beautiful for somebody that day? Who's going to see the realities of heaven bursting forth in their lives and in all that around them if we're only interested in ourselves or by putting others down? You must testify, you must be this good news. Andy Stanley, in his book Irresistible, focuses in on this. He says, imagine a world where people were skeptical of what we believed, but envious of how well we treated each other. This is the strategy of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. That there would be a people of God who would love so radically that they could flip their world upside down. Not with wise and persuasive words, not with owning positions in government or media control. They did it from the margins. They did it in small acts of obedience. They did it under persecution. They did it without a Bible. You ever think about that? The church is growing by the tens of thousands, and they don't even have a Bible yet. They don't have buildings. They don't have church committees. The only thing they're doing is loving so ridiculously well that the world is curious enough to even enter into the possibility of persecution just so they can experience real, genuine love. In our divisive and polarized world today, people are longing for the same thing. Please, just love well. The Holy Spirit wants to become a superpower of love inside each one of us, to do what we can never do on our own. You can be kind and love deeply and be patient and be gentle and turn the other cheek. You do all these things, not because you are able, because the Holy Spirit longs to make them happen in your life. Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. But following you in radical obedience sometimes looks terrifying to us. And it's hard to fight our nature of self-preservation instead of self-sacrifice. But Lord, we long to see the possibilities of heaven become the present realities of our life. and So we ask for your continued work. is even this week in our culture people make jokes and tell stories about haunted houses or ghosts. There is one Holy Ghost that we believe haunts all things and is in all things and it is you. You have been working hovering over the chaos in creation and bringing your church ever increasing towards the wedding supper of the Lamb. May our lives look like a really beautiful invitation to join that. And Spirit of the living God, help us.